Hello and welcome to Freelance Party Broadcast, where today we'll be discussing how to prepare for later life as a freelancer. We are joined by Ian Richards, who is the founder of Work to Live Financial Planning. Ian is a chartered financial planner. Ian, what does your day-to-day involve? Um, Essentially, my role is to help clients make sense of their money, uh, get some clarity around what they should do with it, the purpose behind the money, and then help them achieve their goals once we've kind of figured out what they are and to do it in a a way that's not full of jargon. So I'll do my best in this podcast to to continue the theme. I certainly need that in my life. (laughs) But being freelance and employed, there are obviously differences that come to mind when preparing for later life. But what would you say is the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge is the fact that it's lumpy income. It's very difficult to plan when you don't know exactly how much is going to come in every month. If you're employed, you know you've got your salary at the end of each month. You know how much it's going to be. You even have a pension contributed to you by your company. As a freelancer, you don't get any of that. And you're trying to manage it all while not knowing what's going to come in each week or each month. So do you recommend that freelancers one pay into a pension but also maybe make more contributions than an employed person would to bump up those savings i think you've got to be aware that if you move from an employed role into a freelance role all the other benefits that you're giving up which you may not afford to file which might be your pensions which might be employee benefits around life insurance all those kind of things pensions are great you get tax relief on it and it encourages good behaviors because you can't access them for a long time the issue comes with if you do need that money and as a freelancer there may be some times that you need to dip in so it'd be great to say well you should put in more because you've got to make up for the fact that company's not putting in but in reality it might be harder for you to do so but there are other options for saving for later life that you can use that give you a bit more flexibility so it's probably a case of being really clear on what's the money for how much you might need and getting some of the basics in place before you even go down the route of okay how much do i need to be putting into a pension because everyone should be putting more into a pension but it's got to be in the context of your life and what you're trying to achieve so can you actually dip into your pensions you can't dip into your pension that's the thing at the moment you can't get them until they're 55 um it's probably more likely for most of your listeners by the time that they're 60 so that's very good because you can't, once you put the money in, you're not going to take it out and spend it. Yeah. But it's bad because if you do need that money, you haven't got the flexibility to dip in and go, well, I just need 5000 to tie me over. That's why you, it's really important to get the basics right around having, I call it a confidence fund, you might call it an emergency fund, to give you that um, cushion for those times that you do need it. I, I was going to ask, is there a pension scheme available for the self-employed where you can opt into like a saving plan, maybe, maybe not a pension plan, where it's protected, but you can dip in and take money as and when. How do you mean protected in terms of? So it's one of those where you're not meant to take out and you might be charged a little bit for taking money out of it, but you can if you need to. No, so with with a pension, anything that's got a pension wrapper around it. So a, a pension is essentially a, a savings vehicle and it has various forms of tax relief. You can't get out that. So if it's in a pension, it's it's locked away. There are other things. So you've got um, individual ISAs, so individual savings account. You've got the um, lifetime ISA, which can be a very good bridge between people who are saving for pensions, but also want to be able to um, take money out should they need it. So there is a penalty applied to that. You get a bonus rate when you go into it. And if you take money out, they essentially take the bonus back and a little bit extra on the growth. So you do have options. But any money that you're putting away to invest should be looked at long term. You want to have those foundations again in place that allows you to put that money away and not have to worry about needing it. But that is the real challenge with, with freelancers. So getting a handle on what you're spending each month is, is key as well. Yeah. When you said about that emergency fund, 
is that a personal amount for each person? So is there a set rate that you think every freelancer should have £10,000 or whatever the number is set aside? Or is it more that should it be maybe two months of your, you know, your business costs? Yeah, I mean, it will, it will vary by by as a general rule of thumb, we'll call it a confidence fund because it gives people confidence to do the things that they want to do and it, and it sounds a bit better than calling it an emergency fund. <laughs> sounds fun. It sounds yeah. fun, exactly. So try and make it as fun as possible. Once you've got that, a general rule of thumb would be three to six months of earnings. With freelancers, it might be longer, but each person will be different. There might be some that want to build up a bit of extra in their confidence fund if they're perhaps you know planning on maternity. If you want to take the way, that away, then you want to build up those savings Um part to give you that that flexibility and that confidence to do the things that you want to do so but for some people you might want a bit more back onto like the thing that you raised Jess though about the you wrapped it as a pension but I was thinking of it as more of like money that's not so easy to access my friends have actually got bonds is that a good idea and how does that even work because I don't really understand it myself Okay, a premium bonds are, are, I presume it's premium bonds that, that they've yeah. got. Um, good because they're backed by the government. You get a rate of return. It, it averages out, I think it's about 1.4% at the moment. So it's better than holding it in perhaps a bank account, but it's still not going to help you if inflation is running at 2.5-3%. Because one of the biggest challenges you've got if you're saving and thinking about later life there are risks associated with investment, but one of the biggest risks is not doing anything and having your money held in cash because inflation is just going to erode it away. So even with a premium bond, you can you can get to it. Um, I think it's being very clear on what the money is for and aligning it to its purpose. So if you just tell someone to save £200 a month, they're very unlikely to do it mm. because it doesn't mean anything to them. If you can align it to something that perhaps if it's, well, this is going to enable me to save for a house or go on this trip in three four years time they're much more likely to do it and and studies have actually shown that they did this um, experiment with low-income houses in america and these you know very very low income very very poor who who couldn't save and they showed them a picture of their kids and they saved 250 percent more than the control group who weren't shown it because they aligned that purpose with the money and it enabled them to save just telling them to save doesn't really work so you've got to be very clear on why am i putting this money away and if i spend it what am I giving up? What's the trade-off? Because life's all about trade-offs. Is it ever too late to save? Because I know I'm awful at saving. <laughs> no. The best time to, I think the analogy is the best time to plant an oak tree is 50 years ago. The next best time is to do it now. So the sooner you start, the more benefit you're going to take over a longer term. So you've almost got to well put the past in the past and say, look, that's gone. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do to take control of my finances? Because it all comes to taking control and until you've got that, until you get organised, until you know what's going out each month or what you're spending on your debt or you know, even what your mortgage payment is, you're not going to be in a position to know what you're going to be able to do. Yeah. So just sitting there and going, well, I'm going to start saving into a pension. Until you've sort of taken it back to the basics, you're going to struggle because there's always going to be something. You've got to be in control of it. So things like getting a spending plan in place, know how much is coming in, how much is going to go out next month gives you a lot more clarity over, okay, well, actually, I could save £100 or £150. But even if it's £50, even if it's £25, even if it's £50, just get started because it's a great habit to form. And once you start doing it, it all will become easier. So don't really worry about the amount. Yeah, because the reason that came to mind is more around some freelancers, they would have like loans out and things like that, obviously kickstarting their business. Mm -hmm. So what's your advice around saving, but also paying off your loans and things? Yeah, so it's very, it's get very clear between 
good debt and bad debt. So a mortgage could be classed as a good debt because you've used it to buy an asset. A bad debt would be something like a credit card where you're paying 18, 20% on it and you use it to go on holiday, um, you know, to buy something that's not tangible. So again, it comes back to getting the basics in place. So paying down high interest debt. So if you have got 18%, 20% on a credit card, you should be paying that off because you're not going to get anywhere near the returns from a pension mm. in order to do that. Personal loans, if six, 7%. Again, you probably look at paying that down or at least getting started and putting some money towards it. If it's around 3 4% or a business loan, you might be more comfortable being able to manage it. But it's just a case of even if it's just getting into the habit of, so let's say you had £150, 125 went to debt and £25 went into a pension just to get you started. I had a question because a lot of our listeners are um, new to freelancing or new to self-employment and they may have come from employment and had this pension, fairly big pension, or they may come from like employment that's been at a few different companies and different pension schemes and they have these pension pots kind of floating around loads of different places how do you get them all in in line and together are there fees like how how does that all work yeah so what generally happens is people move around and they have three or four pensions what people may not know is that you can take your pension with you it's it's your pension and you don't have to move it away from whichever provider your company was using you may want to in terms of simplicity and have it all in one place and making it easier for you to manage if you're looking at bringing them together the things you want to be aware of are the cost that you're paying what funds you're invested in, you know, is it, you know, a globally diversified portfolio, which is what we would look at, um, who chose the funds, what, what's actually has it got there, and it can be very difficult to actually know that, and, and that's where taking financial advice can be really helpful, but again, it comes back to what's the money for, how much might you need, because if we're, if we're talking people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, if you're framing later life as retirement, well, that's 30, 40 years away, and people don't think that far ahead, and they also think retirement is when I completely stop working. But with freelancers, one of the reasons they may have gone freelancing is that they want that flexibility. They don't want to do a job that they love. And I think this generation is more focused on that than I'm just going to work and work and work until I get 65 and then I can stop. And at that point, I can do all the things that I wanted to do. Well, there's a great risk there if you don't get to 65 and you've lived your life that way that you don't do anything that you, you've enjoyed. So I think people have got to be a bit more realistic that you're probably going to have to work longer, but if you're working longer at something that you enjoy doing, I don't think people have a problem with that. And mm. um, certainly I think that's what freelancers have done. So it's about really being clear on, you know, what's the money for? How much might I need? What return? It, you've got to get very comfortable with how investments work and how risk works because risk is going to be your, your ally, but it's also going to work against you if you do the wrong things when it falls in value. So you, you've got to, again, be really clear and, and educate yourself around, you know, how it all works. And again, that's a taking control thing because as a freelancer, you don't have that company. They're not taking care of you. The way companies used to take care of everyone is they gave them a big juicy pension that no one had to worry about. They took them away and now they offer a very basic pension and then freelancers don't even get that. So you really need to sort of take control, find out what's there. You can work with a financial advisor, but there's, there's no need to move them. You know, they will continue to grow depending on what they're in. But you want to be very clear on what is the cost and, and, and what's actually invested in. So if you're, you know, one of these freelancers, it's just starting out and uh, or just starting out in freelancing and, you know, employment background or whatever. What would be the biggest piece of advice you'd, you'd give to them? We'd all start from from the basics. So it would get a spending plan in place. And what I would like with, with freelancers is almost have a base spending plan. 
so you, you know sort of at a minimum level how much do you need to bring in and then have one for when perhaps you do better when you earn more than you expected yourself to so you have a plan in place for when that happens because if you just get that money in the likelihood is you're going to go and spend it because that's what people do and, and as people earn more people generally think well i'll be in a better financial position when i earn more money but that's not what happens in reality as you earn more you spend more so your lifestyle just creeps along with it mm. so you can get into really good habits around paying yourself first before you pay for anything else and starting that saving plans early is going to help you so getting really clear on how much is going out each month and having spending plans in place for when you do earn more so you don't just end up blowing it and if you've written down what you're going to do you're more likely to do it if you just think of it on the whim you're, you're probably unlikely to go and do it what should be in that spending plan? Is it every all business costs and personal costs? Or? Well, you, if you've got a business and there's costs assigned to the business and you need to include that within your cash flow within the business and, and have a handle on it, it's very important actually to not ignore that because it is an expense. And then your living expenses would be, well, what are you spending on rent? What are you spending on food, electricity, gas, Netflix, mobile phone? All these things form a part of it. And what you can do is you can start looking through them and, and almost assigning a value. Well, does it make me happy or, or is this useful, me spending my money on this? So it's not about going without. I think what people expect and say is, well, you can't have like a latte. You can't have the classic avocado on toast. You're not allowed <laughs> to, to do these things. If those things are important, if coffee is your time away and allows you to think and gives you a break, great, include it within your plan. If you're having five or six large cappuccinos from Costa a day, there's probably a saving that you can make, but it's not about just going with, without everything. But everything should be included within that spending plan. If you wanted a really simple rule of thumb, you could say 50% on your, your living costs, 20% to future you, and 30% to fund you. So going out and, and doing it if you want a very broad brush approach to it. Yeah. So anything you're spending now is stopping you from doing something in the future and, and potentially more things because with compound returns and it building up the value so it's being very clear on on trade-offs and one of the ways to kind of think about it a useful way is to think about how much time did it take me to earn that money for what i'm going to spend it on so if you know what your hourly rate is and it's going to cost me four hours if you kind of reframe things like that simple things like turning off your one-click ordering on amazon so you don't just automatically buy it um any big purchases wait a week so there's certain things that you can do to try and give your handle on because i had that i kept buying books so now someone suggested, well, what you do is you put it into your wish list and you come back in two or three days and check if you still want it. That's a good shout. And you never buy it because you want it in that moment, but actually think, actually, do I really need it um, on that? So it's really getting control of it. And you've got great apps now. I use Starling Bank. So every time I spend money, it comes up. Yeah. People used to spend cash and, and knew when their cash was going out. Now you just flip your card. You don't even register. Contactless is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> Honestly, I wish they had that three-day wait to see if I needed that drink at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, you just spend any and it doesn't it doesn't register at all. And there's a saying that cash is king, but we don't live in a in a cash society. I hardly ever carry cash. Mm. But if you have something even if it just goes up on your phone, you think, Oh, I've just spent twenty pounds there, you're at least registering it. Yeah. So, you know, it's all that, you know, it's not tracking to go without, but it's just giving you a handle on it because until you know where you are, you've got no idea how much you need. And you've no idea where you're going to get to. So you've got to start with those basics. So spending plan, build up your confidence fund and also invest in yourself. You know, spend time doing training and getting better at your job because how much you can earn is going to be related to how much you can potentially save. You've got to avoid that lifestyle creep. But one of the best investments you can make is your ability to earn because if you've got a 30, 40 year time period, the more you can earn is going to help you further down the line. 
<laughs> Could you tell us more about your business, Work to Live? Because what you've been saying about um, how your life, so it's important that you have fun. It's really refreshing to hear that. And I'd love to know more like how you started, why you chose that name. Yeah, so Work to Live was essentially a play on the um, the live to work <laughs> element. So I think what people used to do is they live to work. And, and to be honest, it doesn't really appeal to me. I don't, like I say, want to get to the age of 65 and stop working and do nothing for 30 years. It's, it's the path to madness. You're just going to go nuts. What people want now is to find a job that they're passionate about, that they can enjoy, but gives them the flexibility to maybe work, you know, nine, 10 months of the year from the age of 40 until they're 70, 75. We're quite lucky now in, in terms of all the technology that we've got. It's not, you know, generally back-breaking labor that people are doing where you got to the point where your body couldn't physically do it anymore. So, Work to Live came out of that. That's where the name came from. And it's all about understanding what people's dreams, aspirations and opportunities are for the future and essentially trying to get them the life that they that they want and, and basically narrowing the gap between what they're doing now and what they want to do. Um, so my focus is I, I try and make it as simple as possible. There is a lot of jargon. There is a lot of complexity around pensions, savings, investments, because it's something that's not taught in school. So one of the biggest things the government could do is actually look at bringing in financial education and starting it as early as possible. So it's helping people understand that. And it's not a financial advisor's role is not to take your money and just invest it for you and say, I can get you this great returns because they're not in control of what the markets will do. The markets, you know, where you invest your money will return what they return over the long term. They can help you manage your risk, manage your behavior, but they're going to help you understand, well, what do you want out of life? What is the money for? Do you want to travel? Do you want to buy a house? Is sending your kids to you know, private school important to you? Do you want to relocate ab abroad? Do you want to change your jobs? Do you want to set up a business? It's all these things. It's what is your life and, and what could be involved in it? And, and starting with what's that purpose of money? What's that money actually for? So it, it all came from that. And then I, I set up by myself because I, I wanted to work with people who traditionally didn't take financial advice because they didn't have any assets and, and the industry profession got paid on, on assets. So I couldn't find anyone who, who charged in a fixed fee way and did it the way that I wanted to do it. So that's kind of why I set it up. I think what's great about your business is that you put the emphasis on building the life you want. You know, your lifestyle should be good and you should have a good quality of life and you shouldn't be scrimping every single penny. But it is important to be financially aware. It is. It's just to be in, in control of that. But, um, you know, we're, we're all here once and, and people talk about... Your, some of your listeners may, may have heard of the fire movement which is basically you give up everything of any enjoyment for you know 10-15 years save everything that you can so that at the age of 40-45 you never have to work again and there's some really good rules and habits in that around saving but that's a pretty miserable existence and what happens if you get to 45 and you drop dead and you haven't been able to do any of the things so it's all about balance and it's all about knowing what your trade-offs are if I do this what's it going to stop me from doing now or, or further down the line so once you get clear on on that it makes it a lot easier so it's not about building a plan it's all around the planning what do you want what's important to you what do you want out of your life talking about your money it's kind of like the last taboo no one talks about it no one talks about what they earn you know they kind of shy away from it and it's not it's not a bad thing to want to earn more money you know to be aspirational because it might allow you to do more things that you want to do it may allow you to help more people it may allow you to help that charity or whatever it is, those things that are important to you, get to a point where you don't have to work as much so you can volunteer. But everything is specific. So if you've got people giving you advice that don't know your circumstances and your situation, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt or 
I wrote a blog around not taking baby boomers, don't take your parents' financial advice because the, the world of work is completely different now mm. to what it was back then. So, you know, they they had it reasonably easily. Their, their company was basically like their parents. They took care of them, gave them loads of great stuff. Mm. Now with freelancers, you're not going to get that. What you've got is that freedom, that flexibility and the fact you're doing something that you love and you're better off doing something you love for 40, 45 years and doing something that makes you miserable but then you get a good pension at the end of it and then you get a good pension because you're probably not going to be around long enough to enjoy it (laughs) um we have some questions sent in from freelancers for you the first one is from a creative freelancer who's originally from australia he asked is my pension transferable if i move back to australia if so would there be a tax implication it would be transferable you're getting into when we talk about sort of complex pension um legislation this would be one of them you would need to take advice from an advisor in australia because i'll have specific rules but you will be able to take that pension with you you wouldn't have to necessarily move it but you're definitely going to want to take advice on whether it's the right place for you so don't think well if i build up a pension over here i'm not going to be able to take it if i move abroad or if i go work abroad that's not the case you may not need to you could actually leave it here and potentially access it here but something like that you're going to definitely want to take specific financial advice from someone who's qualified around overseas pension transfers because not all financial advisors will be okay another question that was asked via twitter was from an it technician based in canterbury and he said i've only recently taken the plunge into self-employment so i haven't really looked into pensions but does the government match any contributions to private pensions they don't but you get tax relief on it if you put money into it you will get tax relief from the government for paying into it um, so the hope would be that when you come to access your pension, you're potentially paying less in tax, so you get a benefit, but you'll get growth on the tax relief as well. So it doesn't match in the same way that a company does, but you still get tax relief. There's still benefits from putting it into a pension. And you, you might also want to check out the, the lifetime ISA as well, because they have a bonus rate on, on that. That's all for this episode. And thank you so much for coming in, Ian. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks all for listening to Freelance Party Broadcast. Join the Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at www.freelancecorner.co.uk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Apps, Spotify or any other podcast platform. Please like, share and leave us a review and let us know what we should quiz next but on next time. Ian has a guide to pensions for the self-employed on his website and we will link to it in the show notes below. Thanks, Ian. Thank you.